Shalom, shalom. Welcome to another episode of God's Little Hummingbird, the podcast where we are reading through the Bible from the beginning to the end using the original language as a guide. We have covered the Torah, so if you have not read the most important part of scriptures, the part that prophesies about the Messiah's first coming, second coming, the story of the ten, uh, of Israel being scattered and brought back, the redemption of Israel, the redemption of Yahweh's people, how the Gentiles can still follow Yahweh, please go back and start in Genesis chapter 1. You need to understand the basis. Any book doesn't make sense if you start in the middle. However, you'll get, you'll glean knowledge and wisdom from any session, any chapter in the word of God, right? It's awesome. So right now we're currently in a historical book, one of the books of history, right? In the history of our people in Judges chapter eight. Today has some really good lessons for us. And like I said, I think it's vital that you go back and start from the beginning because sometimes things don't quite make sense out of context. Now, you've already read the Bible. Awesome. Bless you. You're going to be right on track. (laughs) But if you haven't read some things, yeah, it's just good to read the whole thing. So I pray, Father God, opens our eyes, ears, and hearts to his truth. And let's begin. Now, the men of Ephraim said to him, why have you done this to us by not calling us when you went to fight with the Midianites? And they reprimanded him sharply. Now, let's stop here. (laughs) Did he do it of his own will, of his own accord? No. The angel of Yahweh literally came and told him what to do. What did the angel of Yahweh tell him to do? Do it with these 300 men. Did the angel of Yahweh say, hey, call down the men of Ephraim to help you? No. Literally, literally, literally told him. Hey, you got too many people here. Yahweh himself literally said, you got too many people to give me glory. Why don't you send about all these home? <laughs> Why don't you send all these thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people home? And I'm going to deliver the Midianites into your hand with literally 300 men. Those who lapped the water like a dog. Okay. So be careful the next time you accuse somebody. Next, be careful. Be careful. Did they do is this coming from your pride? Did you want the preemptive power? Like if Ryan's like, how dare you leave us out? Why didn't you call us to do this? I've literally seen this in the messianic movement. <laughs> how come you didn't ask me to go to that meeting with you? Well, Javi just told me to go do it. it. Had nothing to do with you personally. So let's see what he answers. So he said to them, what have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? Elohim has delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. And, and, and what was I able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger toward him subsided when he said that. Now, there's two things here. I do notice Gideon was humble. But do you think it was true humility or was he more fearful? What I see is fear. We should definitely at all, <laughs> we should always try to appease and make peace as long as we can be truthful and honest, right? There have been lots of times people accuse me of things or do things, and I just, yeah, you let it go. It's not my battle to fight. I have to put it in Yahweh's hands. I get that, right? But Gideon has already already proven himself to be quite a fearful person. Again, Yahweh chose to use him. None of us are perfect. So if you're looking for a perfect leader, a perfect person, or you're testing somebody and scrutinizing, it just makes me so crazy when I hear people say, oh, we're just, we're testing them, we're testing them. Oh my gosh, listen to the Holy Spirit. 
Don't scrutinize me. Don't scrutinize this person. Don't scrutinize that person. Let's love each other, help each other. And if something comes up which needs help, let's encourage them, rebuke them. If I'm sinning, well, by all means, people come to me. Now, make sure it's a sin against the Torah. Make sure it's actually a sin that's by the spirit of the Torah. Don't make something up by Judaism and come to me. I've had to reject a few of those things because, I mean, I pray about everything. But yeah, they'll be like, no, or yes. So my point is, Yahweh uses imperfect people and don't look for the perfect one. He was crucified and died, rose again. <laughs> He's the only one who will ever be perfect. Okay? We're so afraid. If you have the Holy Spirit, you don't have to be afraid. And it, and if you know the fruits of the Spirit, if you know the Torah, if you know who Yahweh is, if you know him, he's going to have tons of people out there. There are teachers literally saying there was 12,000 of each tribe sealed starting about 20 to 30 years ago. And they're the ones whispering in your ear from behind you saying, this is the way and I'll walk in it. They started teaching a long time ago. They started learning a long time ago. And none of them are perfect. None of them are good. If they start organizations, I would run. If they charge money, I'd run. But if they're really just trying to get you closer to the Father, they're not going to be perfect. Help them. Let them help you. Work together. You're a team. We're a body. Okay. My little soapbox. One of them. Let's see how many I have this time. <laughs> okay. So here's Gideon. Like, say, oh, he's a, he starts flattering them. Oh, look, you did so much better than me. You, like, you you killed, like, the Midianites and the Oreb and Zeb. And look what you did when you came down to help. And And, of course, it took away their anger, but... Was that really what he was supposed to say? I don't know, because shouldn't he have said, well, I had to obey Yahweh. Yahweh said to do it with these 300 men so he would get the glory. And here, Gideon turns around and gives the glory to the men of Ephraim, like in flattery. I don't, I don't think that was right. Remember, the Bible's filled with things that aren't right, and you're going to see Gideon's a man already with a weak constitution, and he ends up committing some huge sins. We're going to read that. Okay, let's keep reading. God, okay, so then their anger toward him was subsided when he said that. Verse 4, when Gideon came to the Jordan, he and the 300 men who were with him crossed over, exhausted but still in pursuit. Then he said to the men of Sukkot, now the word Sukkot here is like tabernacle, dwelling place. It's literally the name of this town, so they must have lived in, maybe at one point they had been in tents, or maybe this was their big tent together. Who knows why they named it that? Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted, and I am pursuing Zabah and Zalmunah, kings of Midian. <laughs> and the leaders of Sukkot said, Are the hands of Zabah and Zalmunah now in your hand, that we should give bread to your army? <laughs> so they said, No way, we're not going to help you. You didn't even defeat these enemies yet. We're not going to help you. Again, now these people are sinning, because they're not helping the children of Yahweh. Who have you turned away when they needed help? Let's not do that, right? Because, yeah, they hadn't had the victory yet, but maybe they were going to. But now Sukkot is thinking, like, well, if the other guys win and we helped them, then we're in trouble. <laughs> Verse 7. So Gideon said, for this cause, when Yahweh has delivered Zabah and Zamuna into my hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. Then he went up from there to Penuel and spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Sukkot had answered. So they didn't help him either. So he also spoke to the men of Penuel, saying, when I come back in peace, I will tear down this tower. Now Ziba and Zalmuna were at Karkor, Kar, I'm sorry, Karkor, and their armies with them, about 15,000, all who were left of all the army of the people of the east. For 120,000 men who drew the sword had fallen. 
Now these numbers, guys, remember, sometimes they're skewed or they're a little bit off. They're going by estimations. They're trying to count. It wasn't, this wasn't prophetic. This was, as far as this wasn't given through prophecy, this is like, this is literally a historical writing of what was happening. So you will see sometimes a discrepancy in numbers. Um, but it's because they're rounding off. They're going by their best estimations. There's not a history book out there that hasn't had a number wrong. So it doesn't mean you just credit. You don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? <laughs> then Gideon went up by the road of those who dwell in the tents on the east of Noba and Yog. I'm sorry, Yogbaha, and he attacked the army while the camp was felt secure. When Zeba and Zalmunna fled, he pursued them, and he took the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmunna, and routed the whole army. This is 300 men <laughs> coming against a lot of thousands. Then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from battle from the ascent of Heres, and he caught a young man of the men of Sukkot and interrogated him, and he wrote down for him the leaders of Sukkot and its elders, 77 men. Then he came to the men of Sukkot and said, Here are Zeba and Zalmunna, about whom you ridiculed me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in your hand, that we should give your bread to the weary, to, should, that we should give bread to your weary men? And he took the elders of the city and thorns of the wilderness and briars. And with them, he taught the men of Sukkot. So he basically beat them. Which just seems so odd in our culture. But they did. Like he was able somehow to subdue. And obviously he had 300 very mighty men with him that were, were um, anointed by the Holy Spirit, obviously, because they were doing great wonders. Got these men and scourged them with these thorns and out right in briars and so he just beat them like that seems so barbaric but it's what they did <laughs> it's not barbaric it's what they did then he tore down the tower of penuel and killed him killed the men of the city and he said to zeba and zalmunna what kind of men were they who whom you killed at tabor so they answered as you are so were they each one resembled the son of a king then he said they were my brothers the sons of my mother as yahweh lives if you had let them live i would not kill you and he said to Yachter, his first, well, Yachter, his firstborn, rise, kill them. But the youth would not draw his sword, for he was afraid because he was still a youth. And so he was in the army, but he was obviously, like with his father, obviously, but he was still very young. So who knows, maybe 13, 12, something like that, maybe even 15. He was just afraid to draw the sword and kill these guys. So Zeben Zalmunna said, rise yourself and kill us, for as a man is, so is his strength. <laughs> so Gideon arose and killed Zeben Zalmunna and took the crescent ornaments that were on their camel's necks. Now the crescent ornaments were not good. These were pagan gods' ornaments. You ever hear about Allah <laughs> and the Muslims? All of that region had a lot of um, moon worship practices. And then when the Muslim faith actually took hold after Yeshua died, they adopted, they just kept doing some of these traditions they had already learned over there in the Middle East. Verse 22. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son, and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. Yahweh shall rule over you. He spoke correctly here. We were only ever supposed to have, well, Yahweh wanted to be our king, and we were supposed to have judges people to enact his mishpat, his rules, his Torah. But we made kings over us, and then we faltered because we had we wanted to be like the nations. And of course, we'll read about that, but Gideon answered correctly here. Again, he wasn't perfect, though. He Just because you know part of it doesn't mean you're perfect. Just because you know none of it doesn't mean you're all wrong. Like That's the thing, people. There's no perfect person out there. Okay, let's keep reading. 
Then Gideon said to them, I would like to make a request of you that each of you would give me the earrings from his plunder. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. Again, I don't know if these were crescent earrings or what, but they, 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 the earrings that the Ishmaelites wore um, were golden. I, I would wonder if they had some of those crescent shapes. Verse 25. So they answered, we will gladly give them. And they spread out a garment and each man threw into it the earrings from his plunder. Now the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekelim or shekels of gold. It actually doesn't say the word shekels there, but that's just the unit they were using, they believe. Besides the crescent ornaments, pendants, and purple robes, which were on the kings of Midian, and besides the chains that were around the camel's necks. So there was lots of um, precious metals. Then Gideon made it into an ephod and set it up in his city, Ophrah. And all Israel played the harlot with it there. It became a snare to Gideon and to his house. Huh? So remember the ephod was supposed to be worn by the priest under the breastplate. So he knew what an ephod was. It's a place where you would inquire. Um, the ephod, the children of Israel, would, uh, the Levites would bear the names of the sons of Israel on, on their shoulders on this ephod. It's the thing that set upon his chest and is where you would go to for the the urim and the thummim were in the breastplate that was upon this ephod ephod was kind of like a robe and they played the harlot with it there because they weren't doing what yahweh had said they weren't doing like what the we were supposed to do at the tabernacle or with yahweh's priests so why do we think god changed why do we think he would change his mind and now okay with these babylonian church practice um, people do no they're playing the harlot on their god it's wrong became a snare to them. Verse 28. Thus Midian was subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted their heads no more, and the country was quiet for 40 years in the days of Gideon. Then Jeroboam the son of Joash went and dwelt in his own house. Gideon had 70 sons who were his own offspring, for he had many wives. Again, we saw the ruin that Solomon, well, we will see the ruin that Solomon encountered because of his many wives, and I'm sure that did not help this situation. Verse 31, and his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son whose name was, whose name he called Abimelech. Abiz, uh, my father is my king. Now Gideon, the son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash, his father, in Ophrah of the Abizrites. So it was, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal Berit their god. So, notice they were st probably still serving Yahweh, but the ephod was a snare because they weren't supposed to be doing things with it, yet they still did try to serve Yahweh in some capacity. But here, after he died, they completely went back to the Baals, the Baals, the Lord. Thus the children of Israel did not remember Yahweh, their Elohim, who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. Nor did they show kindness to the house of Jeroboam, Gideon, in, his, in accordance with the good he had done for Israel. So they turned their backs and they became ingrained in sin even deeper. Boy, it's what we do as a cycle of people. I pray Yahweh saves us and gives us hearts to turn back to him. Hearts of flesh instead of stone. And that they would be circumcised fully for him. Much love to you all.